I'm sure you know, but I'll ask you anyway. Are you aware of the fact that God created a perfect world for his people? He did do that. Certainly, I don't mean now, because that is not what we're living in. But there was a time when everything was right. Actually, twice. Twice. The first time is easy, right? When was, when was the first time everything was right? In the beginning. In the beginning. Bereshit, creation, of course. God created humanity. He gave some very, very basic instructions for how we were going to navigate, how they were to navigate it. Uh, we actually, we often think of only one thing, like Adam, Eve, don't eat that tree. Don't eat that fruit. But there were more, like, like this one. Be fruitful and multiply. Talk about a mitzvah. We can get behind that one, right? Other things like, you know, fulfill the earth and subdue it. And in so doing, the perfect world would exist. There would be no killing, even animals. Fill the earth, subdue it. A perfect world. And one important thing would reign supreme. One aspect, one attribute would reign in this perfect world. Tzedek. Justice. It would be a world of perfect justice, conformity to an ethical or moral standard, and in this case, that standard is clear. God's standard for just and righteous living was the thing. Psalm 145, the Lord is just in all His ways and holy in all His works. He created perfection. And this, according to Judaism, was God's offer to Adam and Eve, which is reflected in that creation story. And the name of God that's used in the creation story, Genesis 1, is interesting. It's Elohim. Okay? We read in the text in Genesis 1, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'ed ha'aretz. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. There's a reason. There are a lot of, there are, there are, biblical criticism suggests that the reason is that different people wrote different parts of the Torah. Okay? But we're not going to talk about biblical criticism. We're going to talk about Judaism and the perspective of why. In Genesis 1, Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is a name of God that represents an attribute, one apt, one attribute. It's called Midat Hadin. Do you know what his one attribute is represented by Elohim? Justice. Tzedek. The God of justice. Because in the beginning, it was his intention that all of God's people would live under a strict system of justice. His instructions are the foundation of a just society. There is no bending. Deviation will not happen. Break the rules. Elohim, the God of justice, must judge. And that was good. That was great for precisely one chapter. Right? We see a shift in chapter 2. and We know the story, but we see a shift starting in verse 4. We now no longer see just the name Elohim. Now we see Hashem Elohim. We see the two names. God has many names, but Hashem Elohim we see in chapter 2. God's sacred name, 
Hashem, yud Hey vav Hey are the Hebrew letters. God's sacred name. That starts, Hashem Elohim starts right around the time that God creates man from the dust. <clears throat> God forms him, he blows into, into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a being. In other words, Hashem God, Hashem Elohim, made a shift in chapter 2. Why? Well, that name, Hashem, the sacred name, which, by the way, the sacred name. You don't say it in Judaism. Yeshua didn't say it publicly. We don't know if he said it privately. We weren't with him in his prayers. But it is the sacred name of God. It is not said. It was said one day by one man in a very holy place in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. Well, it was said on Yom Kippur. Okay, let's not get into all that. In common speech in Judaism, that sacred name is represented by the name, literally, Hashem, the name. Okay, So when I say Hashem, I'm speaking of yud Hey vav Hey, God's holy name. And it carries this unique and beautiful attribute. I said, Midat Hadin, Elohim, right? The God of justice. Hashem, Midat HaRachamim, the God of mercy. The God of mercy. So at the very moment that we see God creating man and blowing into his nostrils, there's a shift in God. Now it's Hashem Elohim. It's not just Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Hashem Elohim blew into the, into the nostrils of, God, of man. Because here's what God knows. All talk of justice is excellent, and the ideal ideal world exists in justice. And man would be judged only according to his deeds in that world. But we, as human beings, will not survive long with only justice as our defense. Do you understand what I'm saying? That shift in chapter 2. To Hashem Elohim, God of mercy and justice, he added, as, as Rashi says, he tempered justice with compassion. He added mercy to justice, and it is a very, very good thing he did, right? Because by chapter 3, we needed it. Already, they had been given a choice, but in Genesis 3.23, it says, Hashem Elohim banished him from the Garden of Eden. They had this choice, very simple. Choose life, choose justice. They chose poorly, right? They were judged. And yet, and yet, mercy was given. Because they were not killed. They were not destroyed. And you'll see something very interesting if you're paying attention to these little details. In chapter 4, we have another shift. Chapter 1, Elohim, the God of justice, creates the earth. Chapter 2 and 3, Hashem Elohim is interacting with man. Chapter 4, after the fall, Hashem said to Eve. Eve refers him to Hashem. Why? What is that? I have nothing left but mercy. God of justice, I can stand. Who can stand? And Eve says, Hashem has, I have created life like Hashem. And we see that name continuing. Now, I'm not saying 
that it never goes back to Hashem Elohim. It does in Genesis. But my point is for this story, God creates Elohim, the ideal world, a world of justice. He gives instructions, human falls, and then mercy redeems. Now, that is a message that you should have heard back in October when we started the Torah over again, right? For Parsha or Reshit. In the beginning, what does that have to do with anything today in Exodus? Well, I told you that when we started here, God created a perfect world for his people. The first is easy. When is the second? Said he did it twice. When was the second time? Yes. Yes. Very good, Deborah. You really excelled in Hebrew school. Good for you. Good little Jewish girl. When God chose a people for himself, they had a chance for perfection, to live in this world that Elohim created according to his standard of justice. Here's what Judaism tells you. When they received the instruction, the covenant of the ten words, the commandments, God said, follow my instruction and things will go very well for you. Now, I want you to notice something significant about this. In Exodus 20, verse 1, as he's introducing the Ten Commandments, it says these words. Vayidaber Elohim et kol hadevarim ha'ele. Remember who created the world in Genesis 1? Elohim. You know who introduced the Ten Commandments to Israel at Mount Sinai? Elohim. And God spoke these statements. The name of justice. The God of justice reintroduced to them a world of justice. And according to Jewish tradition, gave them a chance to, in essence, return to what had been lost in Eden. How would this work? The Talmud says at that moment in the presence of God amidst thunder and lightning and the host of heaven with him, that the nation was elevated to such a level of holiness that the evil venom injected into Adam's soul by the first sin faded away. Now that's a, that's a huge statement, okay? It's a huge statement, but let's simplify that. And, and we're going to put, put original sin on the back burner for a minute. What he's saying, what it is saying, the suggestion is that they had a chance. They had a chance. They had a choice. It is not that Hashem removed mercy, because in the very next text that follows Elohim giving these commandments, he says, Anochi Hashem Elohecha, I am the Lord your God. Right away he says that. In essence, I am Hashem Elohim, just like in Genesis 2. I'm God of justice giving you the instructions. I'm Hashem Elohim here interacting with you as man. And just like when I gave Adam and Eve the offer to live in a right world, in a world of justice, I'm giving it to you as well. I want you to live according to justice, to righteousness, to goodness. Psalm 89 says the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. And that's what he's calling them. I want you to be co-creators with me. Shine a good light to the nations. You have a choice. Choose life. Choose blessing and all of that good stuff that we read in the Torah. 
And to the person who says, and Andy and I had a great conversation about this while we were chopping roots. But to the person who says, well, it would, that's, that's silly. That's impossible. They, they were stained with original sin. First of all, original sin is a much later Christian doctrine. It's not like that in Judaism. So that's, that's anachronistic to be talking. It's a way later development. But what about that evil venom comment? That's obviously evil. Well, we know that Adam was stained. We know that a stain came down to humanity from Adam and the decisions that were made, the rejection of the offer. We know that. But regardless of whether or not Judaism believes in the original sin, at this point what is being suggested is, regardless of what happened then, now Israel stood at a moment where they could reclaim it. They could remove it. They could choose wisely, choose well, and follow justice. Well, it's impossible to do. It's impossible to be perfect before the law. The Torah doesn't ask you to be perfect. Did you know that? The law makes provision, actually, for injustice. It speaks of death penalties and crimes for punishment and unjust acts. Remember, this Torah is being given post-Eden. God had already destroyed the world and seen what man was capable of. He modified. The Torah evolved into a document of justice for the culture which existed at that point in time. And they had the choice to say, yes, we will do it, which is what they said. Everything that you've said, we will do. That's what Israel agreed to at the foot of Mount Sinai. This was restoration of relationship. And anyway, you want to talk about injustice. What a sadistic joke it would be for for the God of the universe to say, Hey, uh, by the way, I'm giving you all these instructions. There's no way in Gehenna that you're going to be able to do them. But hey, give it a shot. (laughs) That's silly, isn't it? He gave them and us free will, choice. He said, Adam and Eve, do these fun things. Don't do these bad things. He said, Israel, do these fun, good things, including what I told Adam and Eve, and don't do these bad things. Elohim. Gave them a choice. Elohim et kol hadevarim ha'ele. And God, Elohim, spoke all these statements. And in both circumstances, what happened? They chose poorly. And this week's Torah portion tells us the unfortunate choice that they made. Aaron, make for us gods that will go before us. Now note the Hebrew. Elohim can also mean little gods, idols, false gods in the Torah. Aaron, make us little gods. We don't want the real Elohim God of justice who's given us chance for a relationship. We We want the little God. We don't trust. We don't believe. We don't believe in Moses. Give us the calf. 
And granted, it wasn't all of Israel, but it was enough. Meanwhile, Moses is on the mountain with who? Elohim. What is Elohim doing on the mountain with Moses? It's phenomenal if you read it. Exodus 31, it says, When he finished speaking to him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of testimony, stone tables inscribed by the finger of who? Elohim, the God of justice. You see that? The God of justice inscribed these tablets. And on the ground below, just 40 days or so after, after this revelation of Sinai, of this invitation to restore perfection, to return completely to God, to create a just society and prosper, the people chose not big capital Elohim, little Elohim. False gods, injustice, they chose badly. The offer was made again and rejected. And it's not unlike only making it, you know, we're, we're at Sinai, and 40 days later, it's over. We're at creation on day six, and it's over. Human beings have a tendency toward this, right? And now God says some terrifying words. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a cast metal calf and have worshipped it it, and have sacrificed to it. This is your God, Israel, they said, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. So now leave me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. What's the deal? Moses, you did good. They did bad. I'm done. They're done. You finished. And what is that? That's justice. That's justice. Moses did right. They did wrong. Justice demands a verdict. And sometimes it's harsh because strict justice is harsh. But Moses did something incredibly bold. Something that's often confused me, confounded me, left me sort of in awe of the chutzpah of this guy. You know the term chutzpah, right? There's a lot of other words. Boldness. He threw down the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Moses took it upon himself to take the tablets that the finger of God inscribed and smash them on the foot of the mountain. That is chutzpah. That's terrifying. But before he did that, here's the conversation Moses had with God. Listen carefully. Exodus 32, 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Hashem Elohecha.
The Lord is God. Elohecha is just the possessive form of Elohim. God goes before Hashem Elohim, God of mercy, God of justice, and has this conversation. Moses knew. Moses knew. God, I know what you've given us here. I know that you are Hashem Elohim. I know that you are the God of mercy and the God of justice. I know your creation. And you've taken into account from the beginning that we cannot survive in a world of strictly justice being judged by our deeds. And then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, Hashem, Hashem, why does your anger burn against your people? Moses knew. There is a progression from Elohim, the God of justice who inscribed the tablets, to Moses' acknowledgement as he stands before Hashem Elohim and then asks this question, a pure reliance on God's mercy. I am not calling for justice now, Hashem Elohecha. I am calling upon the God of mercy. Hashem, Hashem, why does your anger burn? And therein lies the beauty of Moses' understanding and everything that happens next. He knew we couldn't make it. And he broke the tablets written strictly under the attribute of God's justice. Do you know what Moses was doing? Interceding. Adam and Eve had no intercessor. Moses did. Moses was. It says his anger flared up. And the text says Moses' anger flared up and he, he broke the tablets. Well, I mean, listen, if you were 40 days and 40 nights without eating, you'd be angry too. Hangry is the term. But there's a lot more than his anger going on here. Moses is the lover, the defender of the people. And the result is this, because of Moses' boldness, because of his plea, not for justice, but for mercy to Hashem, it says, Hashem reconsidered regarding the evil he declared he would do to his people. And Moses was for that reason. He held God accountable to his name. Do you understand? And the second set of tablets is a very different story. 2,000 years after creation, there occurred a repetition of the process, which marked the beginning of the universe. Moses had supposed that the revelation at Sinai was the supreme moment when man could once again raise himself to the ideal level of justice and moral perfection. He was brought back to reality when he realized that this ideal was unattainable. So he broke the tablets and returned to the ideal of love associated with justice. Hashem approved of Moses' action and paid tribute to him for it, which you shattered, he says, a phrase that the Midrash interprets to say, it is well and good, Moses, that you shattered these tablets. When we get to the second tablets, there's no mention of justice or Elohim or even Hashem Elohim. It's just Hashem. It's just God showing up in mercy. Listen, Exodus 34. 
Hashem said to Moses, carve for yourself two stone tablets like the first one, and I shall inscribe on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you shattered. Be prepared in the morning. Ascend Mount Sinai. Hashem did that. And that is just right before, as he's about to receive these tablets where Moses is saying, I want to see your glory. I want to know. I want to know your essence, God. And how does God describe himself? It's called the 13 attributes in Judaism. Hashem descended in a cloud and stood with him there, and he called out with the name, Hashem, Hashem, passed before him and proclaimed this. Hashem, Hashem, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in kindness and truth, preserver of kindness for thousands of generations, forgiver of sin, iniquity, and error who cleanses. That's the way God describes himself around the second tablets. Remember what was associated with the first tablets, right? Justice. The second tablets, mercy. They're surrounded by it. And mercy doesn't always mean that there's no consequence because that would remove all justice from the world. And they missed the opportunity. That's obvious. But the people survived. And in the end, it's this that I love. 34.27 in Exodus, Hashem said to Moses, write these words for yourself. For according to these words, have I sealed a covenant with you and Israel. He remained there with Hashem for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread. He did not drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. There's a great opinion. There are are conflicting opinions. Imagine that in Jewish thought about who actually wrote the second tablets. Because in the beginning of this, it says God was going to write them. Now it seems as if he just told Moses to write them and that Moses did, right? That's what we heard. You can go back and read it later. Here's a wonderful consideration of how that worked. The inscribing of the Ten Commandments on the second tablets consisted of two parts. One aspect was the writing of the commandments on the surface of the tablets. The second was the engraving, the cutting out of the letters which the Midrash says went through the tablets to the other side. It was Moses who did the writing. Hashem did the engraving. And what was the symbolic meaning? At the foot of Mount Sinai, the Jewish people had attained a degree of moral perfection so great that they could see the divine revelation of truth clearly. But this high level of spirituality did not return after they sinned at the calf. From that time forward, Hashem, having written the law with his own hand, would no longer give it to men as a gift. They would now have to acquire Torah through their own efforts and toil. They would have to struggle with all their limited abilities to acquire some measure of spirituality and truth. Thus it was Moses who had to write the second set of commandments. Hashem then proceeded to engrave the words in tablets of stone written on both sides. Now that should sound very familiar to you. Because remember what happened in the garden? They had the opportunity for perfection and God said, Nope, now you're going to have to work at it. It's not going to come easy. So this is just a recycling I told you it happened twice. You believe me now? 
just like creation. And now with the Torah, you had this chance, now you have to work. And there's a lot of heavy stuff embedded in that. But you know what? God was not angry with Moses at all. He was happy, I guess, that Moses did that in some way. But the text says, never again has there arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom Hashem had known face to face, as evidenced by all the signs and wonders that Hashem sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his courtiers and all his land by the strong hand and awesome power Moses performed before the eyes of all Israel. There has never been in the Torah a stronger hand or more awesome power than Moses breaking those tablets and calling on God's name. He saved the people. This sermon is called The Calf and the Cross. We haven't said one single thing about the cross. You might should be able to see it embedded in there anyway, but I'm not going to make you rely on that. There's a confusion. Never has there arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses. We know that's not actually true, right? We know that one did come. whose name was Yeshua. And we need to investigate that a bit deeper on events that came later because there's an amazing connection to what we just discussed. And I know it's a lot and confusing and all these scriptures and all that, but I hope some part of it will embed itself in your spirit. But because I cannot do justice to it today, we'll pick it up next week. Shabbat Shalom.